Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Knutson, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. And in today's episode, I talk with Professor Lord Robert Mayer, who is the Emeritus Professor of Civil Engineering at Cambridge University and the current president of the UK's Institution of Civil Engineers. This is the first of a three-part special series in which I'm going to be introducing you to uh, not only the Global Engineering Congress 2018, which is going to be taking place the 22nd through the 26th of October 2018 in London at the Institution of Civil Engineering's headquarters, where I happen to interview Lord Mayor. But our guests uh, for the next two episodes that you're going to hear about or hear from are going to further elaborate on the topics we cover in the episode, which are going to be the Global Engineering Congress, what it is, and what it focuses on, which is the UN's Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Uh, There's actually five of those that are going to be looked at at the GEC 2018, and the following two guests are going to help unpack what those are and what that looks like. We're also going to be discussing with the following two guests uh, what the role of engineering organizations play in education and policy development and how you, as a civil engineer, either an individual or a company, can get involved in helping to further the movement towards achieving the uh, sustainable development goals. So there could be a very interesting uh, set of series uh, that, we're, that we're going on. And we're kicking it off with this interview with uh, Lord Mayor. Before I get too far, I want to remind you to please stick around until the end of the podcast for my essential career advancement tips. Both myself and Lord Mayor share a couple of uh, really, really good takeaways. And I'll be sharing info on where to find practical advice and the best resources for your licensure exam, including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners. Thanks to our sponsor, PPI. So you're not going to want to miss that. So as I mentioned, I had an opportunity to uh, go down to uh, London to Westminster, the institution's headquarters, and uh, interview Lord Mayor. I do that in person. It's absolutely a a wonderful experience for me. Lord Mayor is an exceptional professional. You can just tell from uh, the moment you sit down with him, his uh, grasp and uh, his experiences in the civil engineering profession are are absolutely amazing, which is only reflected by the different things that he's been able to achieve throughout his career. And we talk uh, quite a bit about that during the actual interview. So the interview is going to touch on the Institution of Civil Engineering, what it is, its history, which is pretty substantial here in the year 2018. We get into a little bit about that. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the Global Engineering Congress 2018 and why the ICE, which is how it's also known, is involved in supporting both the Global Engineering Congress and the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. We also get into what Lord Mayor's observations are about the integration of new technologies and how the civil engineering profession can be brought into the digital arena. And uh, we talk a little bit about his uh, work that he does through one of his other pursuits, which uh, comes through the Center on Smart Infrastructure and Construction uh, up at Cambridge. And then we also talk a little bit about his professional career, how he got into civil engineering, what brought him into the profession, and some of the projects that he's worked on that have had both uh, impact on on him as well as greater society. So it's a wide-ranging interview. I left feeling both proud to be a civil engineer and energized and continuing in just whatever fashion I can to further not only the profession, but to serve greater society as well. So a little bit about Lord Mayor before we dive into the conversation. Professor Lord Robert Mayer is the Emeritus Professor of Civil Engineering at Cambridge University, where until recently he was the Sir Kirby Lang Professor of Civil Engineering at the Head of Civil Engineering. 
He was also Master of Jesus College from 2001 to 2011 and Senior Vice President of the Royal Academy of Engineering from 2008 to 11. Before he was appointed to a professorship at Cambridge in 1998, he worked in industry for 27 years and in 1983 founded the Geotechnical Consulting Group, which is an international consulting company based in London. He was awarded the ICE Gold Medal in 2004 and the President's Medal in 2013 and currently serves as ICE's 159th president in the institution's 200th anniversary year. His research group at Cambridge specializes in the geotechnics of tunneling and underground construction, and he has advised on numerous tunneling and major civil engineering projects in the UK and worldwide, including the Jubilee Line Extension Project for the London Underground, which we get into during the interview, and he introduces us to the technique of compensation grouting, which was successfully used to protect Big Ben from movement during that construction project. He also leads the Center on Smart Infrastructure and Construction at Cambridge, uh, involving the innovative use of latest sensor technologies to monitor the behavior of civil engineering infrastructure. Again, we hit on this in the interview, and he was elected a Fellow of the Royal Society in 2007 and awarded the Commander of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, the CBE, in 2010 for services to engineering. And if that was not enough, he was appointed an independent crossbench peer in the House of Lords in 2015 as a member of the House of Lords Select Committee on Science and Technology. An absolutely amazing professional, an absolute amazing member of the civil engineering profession that was absolutely uh, very much humbled to be able to sit with him for just a short period of time and have this great conversation that I'm about ready to share with you. So, all right, now it's time. Let's just jump right into the civil engineering conversation for the day with Professor Lord Robert Mayer. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our civil engineering conversation. I'm uh, coming to you from the Institution of Civil Engineers in London. I'm joined with Professor Lord Robert Mayer. Lord Mayer, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, for our audience who's listening that's outside of the UK, please tell us a little bit about the Institution of Civil Engineers. Well, the Institution of Civil Engineers was founded 200 years ago today to this year. This is our 200th anniversary. Essentially, it is a professional body. It's the oldest professional body of engineers in the world. It fulfills a number of functions. It's a qualifying body in the sense of uh, overseeing the the way in which engineers become professionally qualified. It also um, provides continuous technical information to its members. It has over 90,000 members all over the world. And the other major activity of the Institution of Civil Engineers is providing thought leadership and advice to, to government, uh, to organizations on all matters to do with the built environment. Certainly. That's outstanding. And, and you mentioned this is the institution's 200th anniversary. What does this mean to you, both professionally and personally? Well, I think personally, it's a huge privilege to be the 159th president of this great institution. Uh, I feel a very uh, honored to be the president in this 200th year. Um, professionally, I think it's a very uh, important opportunity in our 200th anniversary to make the general public more aware about the fantastic achievements of civil engineers over the last 200 years, how it is they've changed lives, uh, how they've done so much for society. In many ways, they are the kind of hidden heroes. You know, we, when we turn on our taps and get fresh water, when we travel, when we go into buildings, when we see flood defences, all these things are all created by civil engineers. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, I'm certainly proud of myself to be a civil engineer, and it's uh, really quite amazing if you really think about the things that we've been able to do as a profession really over the centuries. Um, yes. It's absolutely amazing. So we, we look at the past and the, all the amazing accomplishments that civil engineers have been able to provide for society. I'm kind of curious as we look to the future, if you might be able to maybe share with us a little bit of what your strategy is for helping to make the profession of civil engineering fit for the digital future. Yes, I mean, certainly in my presidential address when I assumed the presidency back in November, the title of my presidential address was Transforming Infrastructure, Transforming Lives, Building on 200 Years. Now, the building on 200 years is a pretty uh, self-evident. It's, it's acknowledging the amazing contributions uh, over the last 200 years of many, many very distinguished civil engineers. But really what I'm focusing more on is the future. And uh, you know, the, the transforming infrastructure and transforming lives is all about the huge opportunities that we now face with uh, the digital revolution that we're in, and the, not only the digital revolution, but uh, many new technologies, which I, I strongly believe offer a huge opportunity for the civil engineering profession to really change in quite a major way what they do and how they do it. So that's very much been my, my focus this, in, in my presidency. Of the different types of technologies that we know that are out there, you know, drones, the different types of uh, censoring systems that are out there, the Internet of Things. As we look at this, really this growing universe of, of technological opportunities that are out there. Exactly. What type do you, are you kind of seeing as being, maybe these are some of it that have a direct application in the civil engineering profession? I think the biggest opportunity is around the, the technology of sensing. In a, the, the, the research group that I lead at Cambridge, uh, Cambridge University, uh, is called the Centre for Smart Infrastructure and Construction, CSIC. And this is really taking the enormous new developments in sensor technologies and applying those to civil engineering in a way that's never been really done before. And if you look at the other engineering sectors, it's common practice, it's completely established practice to equip the engineering with, with sensing devices. So sure. Aerospace engineering, uh, aeronautical engineering, automotive engineering, manufacturing, all of these are using sensing technologies in a very effective way. I often give the example of Rolls-Royce that uh, every one of their gas turbine engines flying airplanes anywhere in the world is being monitored by the engineers in Derby in real time. So they know exactly how every single one of those gas turbine engines is performing. And I believe that in civil engineering infrastructure, we should be doing something rather similar, in that um, it's all very well to create a, a beautiful new bridge, or a new tunnel system, or new flood defences, or new buildings. But the question now is being asked, and should be asked, okay, how are they performing? What are we learning from them? Rather than just seeing them and expecting them to be great, structures. It's now so important to be able to equip these structures with sensors that can measure how they're performing so that it can inform the owners, inform the users as to what is going on and whether they need to be maintained and how often they need to be maintained. And importantly, it gives very important lessons about future designs. Sure. Can we make more economy? Can we perhaps get away with not exactly the same structure next time because the sensing can tell us 
in great detail how they're actually doing to actually make the next designs more efficient. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing thought. The and, and really with the you know with, with the uh, barrier to applying such technologies lowering almost every single year, it seems almost uh, intuitive that this would happen. So yes, certainly within my extent of my remaining professional career, I'm completely expecting that I would see sensation, you know, sensors in everything. A lot of my experience has been in facility maintenance. So after the, the operations of facilities, after they've been delivered, and uh, it's always been something that's, that's been lacking, you know, asset management, true asset management, and really understanding what is out there and, yes. and how it's performing. So it's uh, interesting to see how that's going to play out. Along with this integration and uh, really, let's say, migration and, and evolution of sensing technologies and, and whatnot into the infrastructure comes just the methodology in which infrastructure itself is delivered. Yes. Being myself professionally involved in this and a practitioner and, uh, and having seen even over my career, design, build, uh, bid, build processes, we have design, build, which is very prevalent around the world. Kind of curious on what your thoughts may be around what the future of infrastructure delivery itself might be and, and maybe ways that we might be able to enhance that. That's um, a really important question. Uh, I think the way in which civil engineering infrastructure is delivered has not been entirely satisfactory. I think that's widely recognized. Mm -hmm. And in fact, only yesterday, Hazard Lords Select Committee on Science and Technology, of which I'm a member, uh, launched a report on off-site manufacture infrastructure. And uh, this has been a subject of an inquiry over the last um, few months. And the point that really emerged from the inquiry, not only was the potential for off-site manufacture huge in terms of streamlining construction in all sorts of ways, rather than building in situ, but essentially using factory manufacturing mm -hmm. techniques. But what also emerged from the inquiry very clearly was that the, the current methods of delivery of infrastructure are not entirely satisfactory, mm -hmm. in that there is a, a real need to involve, at the very outset of a project, the client, the client's designer, the deliverer, the contractor, all together working right at the beginning to work out what is the best way to deliver the infrastructure, rather than a rather transactional system, which is rather linear. Yeah. Traditionally, the client says, I want to do a piece of infrastructure, engages an engineer, an architect, and then right down the line, right down the line, the contractors are asked to price for what's being designed. And that is by then too late. It's too late to actually really be building it in a way that is efficient and is um, the best way of producing the infrastructure. So I think that's been recognized for quite a long time. And the Institution of Civil Engineers has been promoting, along with an organization called the Infrastructure Client Group, which is a group of clients, a new business model. It's called Project 13, and it's been uh, very widely received and, and, and very widely applauded as a way of, in which infrastructure should be delivered. Changing the way things are procured, involving the contractor, the, the, the organization that are going to deliver the infrastructure right up front with the client at the very outset. And I think that's something that's emerged in this Hazard Lords report I referred to, and it's something that I believe is going, is going to change and modernize the way civil engineering infrastructure is delivered. That'll be fabulous to see, because I, again, I'm, I'm deeply involved right now, even as we record this podcast in my practicing arena involved in this acquisition process right now. And it is quite laborious. And as you've already highlighted, 
by the time the the main contractor is involved, it's too late. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. really too late. Yeah. Um, we're in a position, especially in the, the program that I'm involved with right now, where uh, the schedule is so tight. And by the time that we actually have the main contractor involved, we've already put ourselves in the compensation event territory, and we haven't even started. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, progresses. And uh, even taking a note, we're going to go back and uh, make sure we have some links to Project 13 and, yes. and uh, take a look at this. It'll be interesting to read that. Again, this um, having, I guess, carrying on the dialogue around the future and, and what that holds. A little bit closer in the future is an event that's going to be taking place here at the Institute in October of this year. Yes, uh, that's That is right. the, uh, the Global Engineering Congress. It's going to take place here at, at ICE's uh, headquarters in London. And uh, I guess one of the questions I'd ask Lord Mayor is, why is this particular event important to not only the Institute, but to civil engineers as a profession? Well, I think it's, it's partly being held uh, here in October because of the 200th anniversary of the Institution of Civil Engineers. But also, it's a, it's a very important recognition that it is the 50th anniversary of the World Federation of Engineering Organizations. And what I think we all need to recognize is that there are still huge global problems mm -hmm. out there in the world which have been recognized by the Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations. There are still enormous problems of uh, delivering clean water to millions of people. There are still issues uh, very much around climate change, around urbanization, increasing urbanization as the world's population inexorably continues to grow. And so what this Global Engineering Congress is all about is bringing together the world's experts in civil engineering and indeed in other disciplines. The American Society of Civil Engineers, the Canadian Society of Civil Engineers are very much partnering with the Institution of Civil Engineers. The purpose of, the, of this Global Engineering Congress is to really address how should civil engineering actually solve these problems. These problems are recognized, they are crucially important to the future of the planet, if any profession is going to really fix these problems, it's the civil engineering profession. And so the Congress has got enormous, enormous uh, uh, importance, uh, particularly this year, but that's the, the thinking behind it, the, the, the fact that it's 200th anniversary and the bringing together of experts from all over the world to say, okay, how are we going to move forward to actually solve these problems and to really improve the worsening problems of the planet? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I've had an opportunity to take a look at the uh, a lot of the, some of the material around the uh, Global Engineering Congress, and, and did pick up on the fact that uh, you know for our U.S. listeners, the uh, ASCE, the American Society of Civil Engineers, will be there, and for our Canadian listeners, they'll have CSCE will be will be present. World Federation of Engineering Organizations may be an organization that they're not familiar with. Um, we'll have an opportunity, uh, hopefully here shortly, to be able to have a conversation with the with the WFEO president. I'm looking forward to doing that as well. Really, as a lead up again to this Global Engineering Congress, which um, you've mentioned that you know each of these organizations has a role in helping and maybe guiding their membership towards what they may be able to do with regards to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I'm kind of curious, you know, when we for many that may be thinking about the sustainable development goals, they may see that as you know these are very very large issues, they extremely are. enormous issues. They are. So for the civil engineering firm director, or maybe just the civil engineer who's listening to this podcast interview, 
what might they be able to do to be more actively involved in helping to achieve sustainable development goals and to further the civil engineering professions movement towards solving these quite large and complex issues? Well, I think the, the answer to that question is, first and foremost, if they are able to attend the Congress, that would be excellent, of course. It, absolutely. I think they'd find that very rewarding and uh, a, a very important occasion. But the outcome of the Congress is going to be a series of action plans, a series of work streams that will be presented and discussed during the Congress and then will actually be taken forward in various different ways. And any civil engineer listening to this podcast from whatever organisation and from whatever country would be very welcome to get engaged and, and to with one or more of these work streams. And I think that would be um, extremely welcome and uh, there'll be a lot of opportunity for engagement from the civil engineering community all around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for our listeners, it, you know, to time date the, uh, this podcast, the, uh, the Global Engineering Congress is a couple months out in the future, but we will have, uh, I myself will have an opportunity to attend the event. Very much looking forward to it. So we'll be able to be the eyes and the ears for Excellent. all of our listenership that are out there that are interested in learning more about this process. So uh, very much looking forward to that. I want to shift the conversation a little bit here and go from big picture talking about sustainable development goals in the in the institution here and maybe move a little bit more to, to yourself. Your professional accomplishments are many, uh, company founder and consultant professor. Uh, you've already mentioned your, your appointment to the House of Lords, um, a very, very distinguished um, opportunity. You're both a fellow of the Royal Society and the Royal Academy of Engineering and the president, uh, as, as we know now, of, the, of ICE, the Institution of Civil Engineers. One of the questions that many are going to have is how do you keep all of this straight in your diary and, and how do you know where to focus your energies on any given day? Well, I think the, answer, the short answer to that question is you need very good um, personal assistants, very good PAs. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, wonderful support both from my department at Cambridge University, the engineering department, and I also have wonderful support from the Institution of Civil Engineers. And uh, keeping the diary and making the priorities is sometimes a challenge. It is sometimes a challenge, but on the whole, I rely very heavily on, on really good support. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Early on, you, you became interested in tunneling and underground construction. Yes. What, what led you to that, uh, to that arena of civil engineering? I spent um, about uh, 27 years in industry before I became uh, an academic. So as a young engineer, as soon as I graduated from Cambridge, I joined Scott Wilson Kirkpatrick, who were then a very large consulting engineering organization with offices all over the world. And within a year or so, I was sent to Hong Kong. <laughs> so at the age of um, about 23, I was very fortunate to go to Hong Kong, where I worked for, for about three years on a number of different really interesting projects, principally around the container terminal, a big new shipping container terminal. But during that time, when I was there, it's amazing to think of this Nowadays, but during that time, there was no metro system in Hong Kong, none at all. And they were contemplating a mass transit system in Hong Kong. The government was thinking about that, and they were beginning to do ground investigations and boreholes. But they were worried. Uh, everyone was a little concerned about whether it would be possible to create tunnels beneath and close to high-rise buildings. And the ground conditions are quite complex in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And so I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. I was sent back to Cambridge five years after I graduated 
um, to do a PhD, which was funded by the UK government and the Hong Kong government had a strong interest as well in whether it is safe to construct tunnels in soft, unstable ground conditions close to building foundations. Hmm. And that kind of changed my life. Yeah. Because it, it, but that's really what set me on the path of um, being really interested in the geotechnical engineering aspects of tunneling and deep excavations. Yeah, what an amazing opportunity. You know, it, it tells a lot to being uh, in the right place at the right time, but, but also having the, uh, the wherewithal to understand that this is a great opportunity to be able to, to take advantage of and to, and to build off of. Because you've, you've taken that and parlayed that into some pretty amazing feats. For any single civil engineer, but, but these are all ones that you've had an opportunity to be involved with, the, the Channel Tunnel Project, Jubilee Line Extension here as part of the London Underground, and then developing some innovative techniques for grouting that helped to shore up Big Ben, which I know all of our listeners will understand that, maybe won't understand that it's behind scaffolding right now, but, uh, but they'll know that it's, uh, they'll, they'll certainly know what Big Ben is. Out of all these projects that you've been involved with, even going all the way back to your time in Hong Kong, what project stands out in your mind is that was one that was the most fun to be a part of, the most interesting professionally, and maybe the most challenging? Well, I think you've already referred to it. It was, it was Big Ben. It was dealing, we, at that time, I was uh, running a geotechnical consulting group, GCG, which was the company I founded. <laughs> and uh, I was um, very much responsible for advising London Underground on many of the geotechnical aspects of the Jubilee Line Extension project. And uh, the most challenging was the construction of Westminster Underground Station, which is a large cut and cover yeah. excavation, yeah. 40 meters deep, only 30 meters from Big Ben. And Big Ben was constructed in the 1860s, quite basic foundations. They simply, in those days, dug down and dug down until the water was coming in so much they kind of stopped, poured in some rather primitive mass concrete. That was it. Those were the foundations of Big Bang. <laughs> uh, with a very high bearing pressure, high by today's standards. And uh, so the, the paramount issue was to allow the construction of this 40 meter deep excavation between diaphragm walls, only 30 meters away from Big Bang. And there were tunnels between the station and Big Ben, new, new tunnels. The apparent uh, challenge was to prevent Big Ben from moving more than very small amounts. Yeah. And so we, we had a, initiated a new technique for this, which we called compensation grouting, which involved putting a shaft into the ground, a vertical shaft into the ground, before any of the construction of the tunnels and the deep excavation had begun, and from those shafts, installing horizontal steel tubes in the ground between the foundations of Big Ben, below the foundations of Big Ben, but above the, the tunnels. And uh, the principle of compensation grouting was then based on very careful measurements of exactly what movements were taking place, which involved lots of sensors on Big Ben, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to inject very carefully controlled quantities of cement grout, liquid cement grout, into the ground to compensate for the movements that were taking place from the deep excavation and from the tunneling in such a way that Big Ben was prevented from moving by more than 
only very small amounts. And so that, that I think, in answer to your question, was by far the most challenging time for me personally. Yeah, it, it was uh, the, the eyes of the of the community, the eyes of the world were on us. We had, we couldn't afford Big Ben to be um, becoming like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And for anyone who's been through the the, uh, the Westminster uh, Tube Station, it's it's absolutely. It is. It's a feat of civil engineering just in itself. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can try to grab some photos on the way out today. <laughs> it's a very amazing, uh, amazing station. So uh, along the same vein with that, I'd be curious to know, since we've, we've touched on already, the civil engineers' impact on society. Have there been any other projects that you've been involved with that you would view as having been a, or had a significant impact on our society? Well, I would say that, I mean, I've, as a geotechnical engineer, I've been involved with lots and lots of different projects because very often it is the ground conditions, the geology, um, the dealing with the, the difficult properties of the ground that uh, represent the most challenging part of the, of the engineering project. But of the ones that, that have made the most positive impact to society that I've been involved with, I would say, are the transportation underground railway projects. We've mentioned the Jubilee Extension, but much more recently, Crossrail in London mm-hmm. uh, is, is just at the point of being completed. It's a hugely prestigious project. Its construction cost is about £15 billion. It's the largest construction project in Europe at the moment. It is going to very much change the transportation system below London. It's railway size. It's not metro size. So essentially what Crossrail does is to take passengers from west of London, coming in from Reading and from Heathrow, and they arrive at Paddington Station and the, the trains then go underground, right across London, interfacing with a number of London underground stations. Now I think that will have a, a very positive impact on society. It's going to make a huge difference to the commuter traffic coming into London. It's going to carry millions of people, millions of people every year. I think that's probably going to have a hugely positive impact. That's amazing. That'll be one of those ones, uh, projects that'll be around for, for many, many years to come. So yes, yes. Very much looking forward to that. So as we come towards the end of the, uh, the interview session here, one last question that I have for you, Lord Mary. It's civil engineering uh, can make impacts on the natural environment and also on our, uh, our built environment. And as we just talked about and have been talking about on society that can last decades and sometimes even hundreds of years. What are the impacts that you'd like to see civil engineers today strive towards leaving for the engineers who may be celebrating the institution's birthday 300 and 400 years? Well, I would like to see them in 200 years' time celebrating a whole range of achievements that civil engineers have um, done for society. They will be probably celebrating the extraordinary technologies that have been used and we've already mentioned sensor technologies, but there will be routine use, usage of robotics, of drones, probably of artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, there will be all kinds of technologies that, that uh, future engineers will be using, which will be regarded as routine, and will have made the creation of civil engineering infrastructure much more streamlined. There will be much more emphasis on whole life performance. Uh, it won't only be focusing on the, the capital project of actually creating the infrastructure. It will also be 
creating infrastructure that's that's smart, that's able to be intelligent, to be able to inform owners, users uh, as to how it's performing. So I think what we'll be celebrating in uh, the next hundred years, next two hundred years, looking back, will be the way in which modern technology can really streamline the way our infrastructure is delivered and the way it is performing as a kind of total asset management operation. That's fabulous. And so all of our listeners that are out there, we all have a, a part to play in uh, bringing that into reality and uh, laying the foundation for the civil engineers that will come after us. So, Lord Mayor, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate having had the opportunity to come here and uh, share some time with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So again, everyone who's listening, uh, We'll have an opportunity to explore more of the sustainable development goals uh, at the Institution of Civil Engineering in October, uh, the 22nd to the 26th of October to be exact, uh, during the Global Engineering Congress 2018 and more to come on that. So uh, just stand by. We'll be right back with the Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment, which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. So I've got some big news for my civil engineering listeners. If you've been thinking of getting your PE license, but you're unsure of where to start, now is the perfect time to check out ppi2pass.com. So they've helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam, become leaders in their fields. And best of all, PPI has recently released the brand new Civil Engineering Reference Manual, the essential book for your PE civil exam prep. So just visit ppi2pass.com to order the new civil engineering reference manual and take one step closer to career advancement that's ppi the number two pass.com and i also have a 20 percent off promo code available to listeners of the podcast just use promo code tce8 on ppi's website for an exclusive 20 percent discount again that's promo code tce8 all right lord mayor uh welcome to the ce hot seat are you ready to go I'm ready to go. All right. So the first question is, are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? So, for example, this could be a specific morning ritual or a lunchtime ritual. It's something that you do consistently on a day-to-day basis that's uh, contributed to you being a professional. I have to say, I don't think there are any actual rituals. But I guess my life in Cambridge, uh, where I spent most of my career, at least in the last 20 years, I get on my bicycle. Cambridge is a is a place in which uh, bicycles are very much the way of getting around. And so, uh, in a sense, it's a ritual that I would, after having some breakfast, I would be on my bicycle and uh, go to my, my office. And uh, it's a very good, uh, I'd go to a number of meetings in, in the university uh, around the town of Cambridge, and more often than not, I'm doing that on my bicycle. So I kind of regard that as being a, almost a ritual in the sense of, of the right way to get around. Uh, and absolutely. And, and in Cambridge, I think it's a ritual for many people. It so is. Lots of, lots of bicycles, so outstanding. It is. So kind of moving along in the same vein here, what's one book that you recommend to civil engineers regularly, or just one book that you found to be extremely helpful in your professional and personal development? Well, there is one book that uh, had a huge influence on me, and it was written by former president of the Institution of Civil Engineers, uh, Sir Harold Harding. Uh, he was president here a long time ago, in 1963. He lived from 1900 to 1986. And the book that was published quite recently by, I think, his granddaughter, based on very extensive notes that he had made throughout his career, is called It's Warmer Down Below. 
the autobiography of Sir Harold Harding. And it's absolute, absolute mine of fascinating experiences, fascinating information of his career as a young engineer, right through to the end of his career. And indeed, after he'd retired, he then became extremely sought after as a very, very well-informed consultant on all kinds of projects. He essentially had been a contractor most of his life. So he writes about all the, the good experiences, but more importantly, he writes about the bad experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I found that book just, a, just extraordinary to read because he, he was so forthright in the notes he wrote and the, the descriptions of his experiences that it, I found that wonderful material to read. Well, that sounds like a good one. I'll have to go out and grab this one, especially if he was a contractor. So it'd be yes. nice to be, try to get inside the mind of, uh, of yes. a contractor. So yes. that's, a, that's a great book. Well, I've got one final question, and that's the uh, the critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got onto an elevator with a civil engineer and had about 30 or 40 seconds with them, and you wanted to give them some career advice during that short period of time, what would it be? I would say do as much as you can in different different ways. In other words, you know, get as much varied experience as you can. Uh, don't be afraid to get your elbows out and to say to your current employer, you want new experiences, you want to work on different projects, or indeed if, you're, if you feel it appropriate, don't be afraid to, to move on and uh, change jobs. The other thing I would say is that probably the most important thing in life is to know who to ask. I think if you actually can work out in your career who it is that, that you need to ask if you're uncertain about things. Because there are an awful lot of people out there that know a great deal. And uh, if you can identify who they are, then you can, you can really advance really well. Because no one can be expected to know everything. But the smart thing is to work out who to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. And I agree with you 100%. So, Lord Mayor, again, thank you for your time today. This has been an absolute pleasure to uh, spend just a little bit of time with you here at the institution. And I look forward to seeing you again in October. Thank you very much. It's right. been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. You'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that were mentioned during this episode. And until next time, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.